I first just want to thank you for staying for the sermon. It sounded like uh, I didn't look around. I didn't, when they said about leaving and going to get donuts, I figured I better not look around in case I'd be offended that someone got up and actually went to get a donut. Yeah. Uh, so we're glad that you're here. We are wrapping up our series today called Selfless. And what we are talking about throughout this short series is looking at the normal standards of our lives. Is sharing your faith the normal standard of your life? Is serving God and others the normal standard of your life? And maybe as you look at the title today, uh, Giving Generously, is that the normal standard of your life? Even at the the sight of the title, some of you may be uncomfortable already, and you might lean over and say, uh, hold on to your wallet, Martha, he's talking about giving, let's go get a donut. I don't know what this title uh, does emotionally for you when you first see it, but I just want you to know right up front that my intention this morning is not to take us, you know, just let's all get on the guilt train for a ride. That's not, that's not the intention of this sermon. In fact, I, I believe that when I look at our country, I think Americans generally tend to be very generous. I think America as a whole, uh, I think that generosity in times of crisis is a pretty high value for most Americans. It seems like every time there is a crisis in our country or even other places in the world, Americans tend to step up and are very generous in those times. It could be a natural disaster, like an earthquake, a tornado, a tsunami, these kinds of things. Uh, and uh, Americans tend to want to give and be generous in those times. Or maybe it's a house fire in uh, a local community, and the community rallies around that family, or a child gets cancer and the local community will, will gather around, they'll rally around that family, they'll do fundraisers, they'll make sure that they have what they need if they don't have you know, the insurance to pay for certain things. I just have seen that uh, so many times through, uh, throughout our country, and I, I just think that Americans value generosity in times of crisis. Uh, a good life, a real life example of that would be this, Denise Summers is part of our Grace Fellowship family. You may not know her, but she attends Second Service. She's part of our family here. Uh, she's been helping a poor community in Mexico for several years now. She's been going down doing some missions work. Uh, she, uh, it's kind of a, one of those God stories where it wasn't something she was necessarily looking for, but God directed in her life. She got connected to this mission, and she's been helping out there for several years. And Right now, because of what's happening in the world, uh, tourism is on pause, and that is the main income for people in this uh, particular community. And because tourism is on pause across the world, that means that a lot of them, their income has been on pause. And so that particular local church has been trying to figure out how they can help their families in the church, how they can help families within the community. And so one of the ideas they came up with is uh, something that we've done. They, they're trying to figure out how to do food boxes for families in their church. Well, that obviously requires uh, help. And uh, Denise called me this week. She asked if our church would be willing to help out with these food boxes. And uh, so here, here's what I know about our church family. Uh, you know, Denise is not one of the, the missionaries on our budget that we support, but she's part of our church family, and God has called her uh, for the last several years to minister 
to people that Jesus would put in the category of the least among us. And uh, this particular local church, uh, we, don't, we don't know them, uh, but, and, and they're not on our budget. Like, you know, we, we support uh, this ministry in Haiti where we help support a school for kids that can't afford to go to school. That's in our, that's in our annual budget. Uh, so when you give, uh, a portion of what you give uh, helps with things like that. Uh, and this, this isn't part of that, but these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, they have a need. We are aware of the need because uh, God has placed Denise into this situation where she's been made aware of it. Uh, so I just want you to know there is a separate basket in the back uh, that is next to our regular giving basket to give you the opportunity. If you, if you feel led to give above your, uh, your regular offering and you want to help out that family with, or this church with uh, food boxes for people, you have the opportunity to do that. Here's, here's what I'm pretty confident in. I'm pretty confident knowing you as a church family that Denise is going to be able to bless this church in Mexico uh, with something uh, when she goes here in a couple weeks, a life-sustaining gift for these folks. Um, but that's, that's an example of Americans, right? Even now, some of you are thinking, okay, what do I need to do to help with that? Americans tend to be very generous in times of crisis. But I have a, another question that I want you to consider with me. What, a, what about when life is normal? What is your standard of generous giving uh, when there's not a crisis to motivate that generous giving when it's just normal everyday life, do you tend to be generous if you don't have a special project, if there's not a crisis that motivates a passion within you to give? Are you still a generous person? Uh, what's your normal standard? So we're going to explore that together this morning, and I'd like for you to join me in Luke 21. Luke chapter 21 this is an ordinary day. We're going to jump in to an ordinary day at the temple. There's nothing happening. There's not a crisis involved in, in the city. Just an ordinary day at the temple. And Jesus was with his disciples. And as they're at the temple that day, he's observing people giving, giving back to God. And it says in verse 1, Jesus was at the temple. He watched the rich people, those who were wealthy, he watched them dropping their gifts into the collection box. And then in verse 2, a poor widow came by, and she dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. Just pause and think about this. Uh, Jesus must have a different calculator. Jesus must have a different measurement of value than what we would normally think of when it comes to amount, when it comes to value in giving, because she gives uh, two small coins. Those who are giving out of their wealth uh, obviously are giving more than that, and Jesus is saying she gave more. Okay. Verse 4, he explains what he means. He says, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus. Now, you may have a different version that may say, uh, they gave out of their wealth. But she, poor as she is, has given everything that she has. 
an ordinary day at the temple. As far as we know, there's no crisis going on. Uh, and, and so we can't say that, oh, she was really motivated for crisis relief for people in Haiti or, or some you know, poor, poor country in Africa, right? As far as we know, uh, there was just an ordinary day of worship. And this widow gave out of her poverty. She chose to be selfless. She chose to put God first and herself last. And Jesus points to her actions, uh, and, and he says to his disciples, pay attention, look at this, this poor widow. Her actions are not normal. And I don't think Jesus is necessarily criticizing those who have wealth. He's just really, really impressed with this woman's level of faith. She gave generously out of her poverty. She had to trust God to meet her needs. And that's what I want us to think about this morning as we think about giving and our, our normal giving. Does, does your normal giving demand faith? I'm talking about the amount. We're not trying to figure out what the amount should be today. We're talking about does, does, your, does your attitude towards giving demand faith? Does your normal level of giving and the attitude that you have towards it, does it demonstrate a selfless life that trusts God to make sure that you have enough? Now, if we look again at the scene from the temple that day, I, I think most people probably would be tempted to look at the amount, the total amount that people gave to determine, well, who's a generous giver and who's a stingy giver? Well, Festus put $500 in. Very, very generous. And Betty, Betty, five bucks, really? Seriously, Betty? Five dollars? You're such a, you, need, you, you need to make sure that you check your priorities. There's something going on. But that's not how Jesus saw things. That's not, that's not the measurement of value that Jesus placed on what was given. He was impressed with this woman's actions because it revealed something about her attitude towards giving. And I guess I want to ask you to think about that. Have you ever thought about your attitude towards giving? You probably have thought through amount, right? You probably have figured out, okay, this is the amount, and you've given some thought to that. But have you ever given consideration or thought to your attitude when it comes to generous giving? I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 because I think there's some really good words and uh, phrases and kind of gut check, attitude check kind of things that we can pull out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 as the Apostle Paul challenges people within the Corinthian church not just to give towards something of value, something a, a thing of need, but to really think about their attitude. And I want to focus in on that with you. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to jump in verse 6. He starts out with this principle. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. Now, we're not all farmers, but we live in a farming community, so that illustration makes sense to us. A few seeds, small crop. 
but one who plants generously will get a generous crop. We get that. We understand that principle, not only to farming, but how it, how it applies to life. Put a little in, you're going to get a little out. You put a lot in, well, then, then you can expect a much better crop, a much better yield. You'll expect much more fruit on the other side of that. And then he says this in verse 7, You must each decide in your heart how much to give. We'll come back to that. It's not a, a hard, fast, uh, hard line on a percentage that he's talking about. We'll come back to that. But, but he says, you've got to make that decision. You get, to sta- you get to set the standard of normal of what giving looks like. Right? That's your choice. But he says this, don't give reluctantly. Don't give in response to pressure because the pastor is having a sermon on generous giving. Oh, I better. Uh, that's not what he's saying. That shouldn't be our attitude. It says this, God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God loves the cheerful giver. Now watch this principle play out. God will give generously to provide all that you need. And I just want to ask, do you believe that? Now, don't answer out loud. Just do you really believe that that is true? Go back to what he's talking about in verse 6. Uh, you sow a little, little crop. Sow generously, big crop, big blessing. And in, in order to believe that that principle is not going to leave us without uh, having what we need, Paul says, don't forget that God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Now, to be fair to the context, the focus of this particular giving was for a special project to help Christians who were in severe poverty in Jerusalem, kind of like the example we talked about early on what's happening in Mexico and I'm sure other places in the world. But the focus here on a person's attitude towards generous giving, how is it described? It's described as a cheerful attitude. It's described as a willing attitude, not out of guilt, not out of this reluctant, like, well, I guess I have to, or people will think poorly of me, or God will be mad at me. No, a willing, cheerful attitude is, is, uh, is the way... That, uh, that, that is described here as what God wants to see in our hearts. And it matters, our attitude matters just as much as our willingness to be obedient to God to give in the first place. Let's think about our attitude uh, towards giving. There, I think there are two basic attitudes towards generous giving. If you want to take notes, you can write these two attitudes down. Here's the first one. The one attitude towards generous giving is that, listen, there's never enough. I, I don't really trust God to be a generous giver because there's never enough. And we see this attitude reflected in, in Haggai chapter 1. I put it on the screen. It's probably a little harder for you to find that as quickly. So I'm just going to read it to you. It's on the screen. If you're following along in your notes on the app, it's right there. You can read it there. It says this, now this is what the Lord Almighty says, right? So this is a message from God to the Israelites in the Old Testament. The the temple was in disrepair. It had been ruined whenever Babylon uh, had destroyed everything. Now people are returning. You know, the wall needs rebuilt. The temple needs rebuilt. Homes need rebuilt. There's a lot of rebuilding. We're going to start looking at that next week in our series uh, in, in Ezra. 
rebuilding from ruins. We're going to get a really good picture of everything that needed to be done. But God is saying something to the people during that time period. He says, give careful thought to your ways. Think about your actions. Think about your attitudes. Think about the way you're living your life. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse or a bag with holes in it. You're earning an income, but it's like, it's never enough. You have this attitude that you keep putting it in. You need more, you need more, and there's a hole in the bag. It's never enough. And the people that God was talking to at the time, they were not... When you read through the book of Haggai, you you will discover that they were not generously giving back to God because they believed there was never enough for themselves. That was the indictment that God brought against them. They had home improvement projects to do. They had a business that they wanted to invest in. They had other priorities. And what they were doing, God says, is they were putting themselves first and they were putting God last. And God called them out on it. Their attitude was one of saying, you know, listen, I wish I could be more generous. I really do. I I would love to give to God first. I would love to be able to give the first 10% back to God, but I just can't afford to do it. I don't have enough for myself. That was their attitude. And that attitude was of putting themselves first and putting God last. What happened was it resulted in this apathetic attitude towards the ministry of the temple. And ultimately, it led to a lack of God's blessing in their lives. That's the whole point of what he was trying to communicate to them. You you guys, you're working hard, but you're not being blessed because of your attitude towards, towards giving. Jesus said something that's pretty famous. We oftentimes hear it at Christmas. Maybe you didn't even know Jesus is the one who said it. But Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to what? Yeah, a lot of people. I mean, if you've never even read a Bible before, you probably have heard that phrase. Jesus said that. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And that blessing might not always be financial. It's not always, well, you, you gave $2, so expect $4 back in blessing. It's not always a financial blessing that God uh, provides. As far as we know, we look at the story, as far as we know, that poor widow was still poor the next day. Right? We, we don't read anything in there that would indicate that you know, a week later she got a check in the mail for a million dollars. She's probably still poor a week later. But does that mean, now think about this, imagine this poor widow, she gave everything that she had for that day, and it wasn't a lot, but she gave all that she had, and, uh, and God didn't you know, somehow, as far as we know, bless her with a million dollars the next week. Does that mean that her life was void of blessing? I don't think so. I've been, I've been to places in the world uh, where uh, people have one meal a day. I mean, that's it. That's, that's the standard of life, of everyday life. It's one meal a day. And they're probably some of the most joyous people, Christians, that I have ever been around in the world. Joy, satisfaction in life is not is not tied to wealth. How many of you know a wealthy person who is miserable? 
who, who just, their, their life is miserable. They've got lots of money. Their life's a wreck, right? Wealth is not necessarily uh, what uh, provides, in fact, often does not provide for us joy and satisfaction in life. This woman, I believe, uh, had an incredible blessed life. And she lived that out because she put God first and she put herself last. My, my wife has this philosophy of cooking that is rooted in this belief. Just enough is never enough. That's what she believes about cooking. Just enough is never enough. And what I mean by that is uh, there are four people that live in our house now, right? Hannah's a college. There's four people that that live in our house, and yet when she cooks something, she cooks enough for 14 people in our neighborhood. She gives it away, and she's blessed to give it away because she believes that just enough is never enough. Last night, uh, I'm in the kitchen, and I see all this stuff on the counter, and it's preparation for chili. We're having chili today for lunch, and she had already prepared the, the meat. She had already prepared pepper. I don't know what all goes in chili. I don't make chili, but she's, she's got the beans there and all these stuff, all this stuff on the counter, and uh, if you were to see the pot, if you were to see the amount of supplies uh, you, you really would understand what I'm talking about uh, when I say, hun, there's four of us. And, uh, and she'll say to me, honey, I, I made 10 gallon of chili. Do you think you're going to, do you think you're going to, she has said this, so I'm not making this up. She has said this to me. Uh, do you think you're going to eat all 10 gallon of chili this week? Well, I should certainly hope not. And I bet you hope I don't eat <laughs> 10 gallon of chili. This week, okay, is it okay if I give some away? Yes, please, uh, sweetie, give, give away all the chili that you want to give away. Now, the two pans of apple crisp on the counter, that stays. That's not going anywhere, right? Our attitude is just enough is never enough because she wants to be generous and give that away, and she's blessed because of that, right? When we have an attitude towards generous giving that believes I, there's never going to be enough for me to really trust God. I just, I, don't, I just don't trust God enough to be a generous giver because there's just never enough. When we have that kind of attitude, we are missing out on some incredible opportunity to be blessed in lots of ways other than financial ways. Here's a second attitude. This is the one that hopefully that we move more towards. I don't know where you are, this morning, but if you're not here yet, I, I pray and hope that this is where you'll be moving towards. It's this attitude. The attitude says, I trust God to make sure there is always enough. There's just this attitude that some people have that says, you know what? I, I'm going to be a generous giver because I trust God to make sure there's always enough. And I want to take you to an Old Testament story in 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. This is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. I love this story. All, there's, almost all the stories about Elijah are just incredible stories, and this is one of my favorite. Uh, 1 Kings 17, here's what's happening in the story. There's a severe drought in the land, and people are hurting. People are literally starving to death because of this severe drought happening throughout the land. And 
And God told the prophet Elijah, I want you to go to this particular town, and there's a widow there that you're going to meet, and uh, you're going to ask her to provide uh, food for you. And uh, so Elijah goes to this particular town. He meets this particular widow. And at the time when he, when he met her, she was out gathering sticks for a fire. Now let's jump into the story. That's not, uh, not really unusual until we dig a little deeper into what's actually happening as she's gathering these sticks to build a fire to make some food. Look at verse 8 says, uh, this is chapter 17 of 1 Kings, the Lord says to Elijah, I want you to go to this village, and I've instructed uh, a widow there to feed you. So this is already on her heart. God's already pressed this on her heart uh, that uh, God's going to ask something of her that's going to be tough. So the prophet Elijah goes to this town. Uh, he arrives at the gates of the village. He saw this widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And she is going to get the water, and he calls out to her, oh, also, would you bring me a bite of bread as well? She turns around, and she says, I swear by the Lord your God that, that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. Now, the situation is starting to take a little more clarity, right? I only have a handful of flour left in the jar. I only have a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just out here gathering a few sticks to cook a last meal. That's what she was doing when Elijah came upon her. We're going to eat this last meal, me and my son, and then she says, and then we're going to die. That's where she's at in life. That's how severe her situation is. We're going to have one last meal, and then that's it. We're just we're going to die. What do you do in that situation? God had already pressed on her heart that she was going to be asked to help someone. And now this guy shows up, and he wants, he wants something to eat, and... I don't have anything to give you. I've got, this is what I got. So read on. What happens? Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead, do what, uh, go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Oh, whoa, 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 make a little bread for me first. Now he's not saying put me first. This is something that God told Elijah. This is something that God's already pressed on her heart. So really what she's being challenged with is to put God first. And she says, uh, he says, so then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. And the question we're left with, the question that she was left with is, do I trust God? Okay, I hear what you're saying, but do I believe it? That there will always be enough if I give generously and, and can I just pause and say, when we talk about giving generously, the two examples that we've looked at today is not your situation. It's not my situation. Now, maybe it's possible there is someone, like you're down to your last nickel. Maybe. Pretty sure you're not. And so when we talk about giving generously and, and we start to apply that to our lives, which category do you think we're in? in the story that uh, we looked at at the temple. Are we in that second category with the widow giving her last 
little bit, all she had, or are we in that other category? We're probably closer to giving out of our wealth, I would say. So let's just make sure that we're walking through these stories with a right perspective about ourselves. She's got this decision to make. What's she do? She did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was, listen to this phrase, there was always enough. There's always enough flour, always enough olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. She, she put God first. She put herself last. She trusted God to make sure there would always be enough. Giving to God first forces us to have faith in God to make sure there will always be enough. You know, I think most sermons that I've ever heard on, on giving or tithing, uh, most of those sermons typically will include a passage from Malachi. If you've been around church long enough, I'm sure you've heard this passage from Malachi that says, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? This is the indictment that God is placing against some of His people. You rob, you're robbing me. And if you ask, well, how are we robbing you? And His answer is in tithes, in offerings. You're not giving, you're not giving your tithe, you're not giving your offering. And the result of that, he says, you're under a curse. The whole nation is under a curse because you robbed me. And then he challenges them, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then he says, test me in this. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. See if I will not pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. If you've been around uh, church long enough, you probably have heard that passage preached in some form. I think most times the focus, at least that I've heard when it's preached, tends to be on giving as an act of obedience. And certainly I think that is true, biblically, an act of obedience to God. But I want you to, when you, when you think about what, what God is saying to the people, you look at the blessing that God promises when we're generous. Right? That's in the verse 2. We look at this attitude towards giving that God wants to see in us. What does God want to see? He wants to see us put Him first. And, and we put Him first. The, the ability for our hearts to put God first is rooted in faith. It's rooted in a trust that we have in God to make sure we'll always have enough. It's not just about obedience to God. It's not just about our ability to do some math project to figure out what's the minimum standard, the, the minimum amount that I need to give so that God won't be mad at me. It's not the right attitude. In the New Testament, that passage I had you read earlier on in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it's a good example that Paul hasn't really, in the New Testament, set up a hard number on a percentage of, of our income in regards to giving. But when you look at some of the things that Paul talks about when it comes to giving, he also does not reject the 10%, a tithe standard as a minimum. He doesn't reject that. In fact, he, uh, he does seem to indicate that we should have some thoughtful percentage-based giving, that that should just be the normal pattern or a follower of Jesus Christ. If you go to 1 Corinthians 16, this is when he, he also addresses this special gift 
There's a crisis happening with Christians in Jerusalem, and they want to organize this gift for them. And in 1 Corinthians 16, in his first letter, he addresses that. He says this in verse 1, Regarding your question about the money that's being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave the churches in Galatia. So this is a standard as far as giving and an attitude towards giving that, that Paul has encouraged churches across Asia Minor to do. Here it is. On the first day of the week, that Sunday, you should each put aside a portion of the money that you have earned. Now, is there a, a specific number attached to it? No, but right there's an intentional portion that is set aside, that is thought through and planned and that's, the, that's the, the normal expectation that he has on the Jesus followers in these churches. Don't just wait till I get there and then, and then scramble around, you know, what do we do now that Paul's here for this gift? Again, the context is focused on this special project to help Christians, but I think Paul is challenging believers, just make giving a normal part of your, of your everyday life. A tithe, the regular intentional habit of generous giving, is what, uh, what we need to put God first and ourselves last. It really is teaching us to trust God, to make sure there's always enough. Think about it like this. It does not require faith to give to God what's left over, right? It doesn't, give, it doesn't require any faith to give to God what's uh, to give to Him last, to give to Him your, uh, what's left over at the end of the month or what's left over at the end of the week doesn't require any faith. It requires faith to put God first. And that's not just towards giving. That's in everything. That's in our time and our priorities, right? It just takes faith to put God first instead of ourselves. The, the woman at the temple that day, she chose to put God first. She chose to put herself last. That required of her faith in God to make sure there would be enough for her. Now, maybe that enough didn't uh, the next day or the next week didn't equate to what the wealthy were experiencing, right? But it was enough. It was enough. In fact, trusting God to provide enough really is rooted in what we, what we say we believe about the gospel. In Romans chapter 3, would you look at this with me? Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. God has shown us a way to be made right with Him. Without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We're not going to be made right with God by, by being good enough. We've, uh, we've proven throughout history that that's not possible. Right? You read through the Old Testament... It's very clear it's not possible for us to be made right with God by being good enough. We'll never achieve that. He says this, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's true for everyone who believes. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you're powerful or powerless. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what your last name is. We all come to God the same way, through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way to be made right 
with God. Why? Well, verse 23, because everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. That is true for you and it's true for me. And yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. Whoa, whoa, time out. How could we be declared righteous when we're not? We are guilty. We are sinners. How is it possible that we are declared righteous? Well, we, uh, we continue to read on here. Everyone's sin, we fall short of that standard, yet God freely and graciously declares we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. Wait, do we have to add something to it? Maybe we have to add like a certain amount of good works to that uh, to make, it, make sure it takes. Is, is, the, is what Jesus did on the cross really enough? Or do we have to add something to it? He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who had sinned in times past. He was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. And God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. The point being this, what Jesus did for us on the cross is enough. That's what we believe about the gospel. The righteousness of Jesus is applied to us when we accept God's gift of grace. We believe by faith that What he did is enough to transform our lives. What he did is enough to forgive us of sin. What he did is enough to make us right with God and give us eternal life. Believing that what Jesus did is is enough is the gospel message. And how do we apply that to our lives? Listen to this from 2 Corinthians 4. It says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. We are outwardly wasting away. Inwardly, though, we're being renewed day by day. Listen, he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So when we go through difficulties in life, do we really believe that Jesus is enough? And we're challenged. Fix your eyes not on what is seen. Fix your eyes on what is unseen. What is seen, that's temporary. The problem that you're experiencing now in life, the difficulty that you face before you is, yeah, that's what you see in front of you, but it's not permanent. It's temporary. What is unseen, what is on the other side of this life, that is what is eternal. Well, how do we, how do we have this hope in what is unseen? How do we have this hope that this life is not our permanent existence, that there's something so much better waiting for us. How is that possible? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is enough to provide that hope for us. What he did on the cross is enough to guarantee eternal hope in glory on the other side of this life. And if you trust God enough to provide an eternal hope on the other side of this life... If you trust that what he did on the cross was enough for your eternal glory, 
then why would we not trust God to provide what we need? Why would we not trust God to provide what is enough for us in this life? The gospel reminds us we need to look beyond this temporary life. We need to look beyond the things of this world and say, you know what, I, I, I trust the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross was enough to make me right with God. Therefore, I trust God to always make sure I have enough in this life while I'm waiting for the next. And on the other side of this life, I'm trusting God that when I get to heaven, he's going to provide more than enough. More than enough. What do you believe about the gospel? What do you believe about trusting God to provide enough? You know, one of of the things that has changed for us over the last six months with our worship experience is, you know, we don't pass the offering plate around. We have these uh, baskets in the front and in the back, and there's online giving and those types of things. Now, listen, there's nothing in the Bible that that says, you know, we have to pass, um, you know, a brass plate around. You're not going to find that verse in the Bible. Um, It's probably actually a a good idea that we're not passing a contaminated piece of metal around to one another. It's probably probably wise. Uh, But maybe maybe you like the giving basket. Maybe you like the online giving. Maybe you like that kind of thing. Or maybe you like the the plate. But this is kind of where we're at with it uh, for the foreseeable future anyhow. And I will say this about it. where I think for a lot of people, that change maybe makes it harder to give generously on a regular basis. I would imagine it probably makes it harder for some because it requires a little more intentional effort, a little more intentional thought. Now, maybe that's not you. Maybe that was never an issue for you, but I'm sure that for some, maybe, maybe it has been. You know, there, there for sure isn't that social pressure that says, you know, the plate's coming around, that social pressure that says, well, I better drop something in here. I don't want the people in my row, I certainly don't want this usher guy to think that I'm some cheapo. I better put something in here. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put a little note in there. It'll look like I'm putting 20 bucks in, but I'm going to put a little note in there that says, uh, don't preach on giving anymore. Everyone will thank me for that, right? Everyone will like that. You're welcome, church. I've been saying it for the last three weeks, and I want to say it again. You're the one that gets to set the standard for normal. You're not normal, and I'm not normal. We've all got weird in us, but you get to set the standard for what normal looks like in your marriage, what normal looks like in your priorities, what normal looks like in, in, uh, in your worship, and certainly what normal looks like in your giving. And maybe your normal is like crisis-motivated generosity. Right? Maybe, maybe it takes a crisis to motivate you to give generously. And there's nothing wrong with giving generously towards those in great need. That's awesome. Right? I, I hope we're able to give a very nice, healthy gift to the people in Mexico. They're putting together food boxes for people in need. I hope we can do that. But I personally don't want to go through life only being motivated by crisis in order to produce some desire for generosity. I want more than that in my heart. I want to become a more generous person. I I want generous giving to be the normal part of my life because I want to learn how to live by faith. That's what I want my normal to be. 
I want to become more selfless than I am right now. I want my son, who just got his first job this uh, at the end of summer, beginning of fall, he got his very first job. And, uh, you know, his paycheck is little. <laughs> but I want my son, even with a little paycheck, to believe that giving a tenth back to God is normal. So that one day when he has a big check, that giving, being selfless and, and giving generously is not going to be weird to him. It's just going to be what a normal follower of Jesus does. That's what I want for him. So I, I, I look at my own life, and I'm asking you to look at your own life, is, is giving generously. I'm not just talking about offering plates, right? We're talking about how you, how you treat others, and uh, you know, maybe you're the one who's given away 10 gallons of chili. I don't know. Are you generous? Is that, the, is that the normal for you, a generous giver?